All right, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and stand, please. Turn to the book of Genesis, chapter number three. Thank you for being in your place this morning. I hope that you are glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you are a visitor this morning, it's your first time, you are a special guest, and we ask that you would allow us to minister to your heart today. And uh, if you could so kindly turn around and look and see if anybody else around you needs a Bible, if you could share your Bible with them. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter number 3, verses 1 to 9. I'll read verses 1 to 9. And when we get to verse number 9, I'll have us read it again all together. I want to thank pastor for this opportunity to preach. And if you have never heard our pastor preach, we invite you to come back again. Our pastor is a phenomenal preacher and a great expositor of the word of God. And you will not be disappointed coming back to hear him preach again. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. The holy word of God says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord God called unto Adam. And he said unto him, where art thou? Read verse number nine all together out loud with me. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into our message this morning. Verse number nine, chapter number three, all together out loud, ready, begin. And the Lord God called Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Today's message is simply entitled, where are you? Where are you? Where are you this morning? Let's pray and ask God to bless this word. Lord, thank you so much for today and thank you for the great report of our pastor. Of the thousands of souls, they'll be in heaven because they heard about Jesus Christ. Thank you for our pastor and Brother Justin and allowing them to minister to people there and for Dr. Lorena's work. Thank you that the same God that they're serving over there is the same God here. Thank you that what you have done there, you could do here. Thank you that you're always the same. Thank you for being holy and for loving us. Lord, I'm praying this morning that you would speak to the hearts of every person in this room. For every person that believes in you and has called on you to be their savior, God, would you search their hearts spiritually 
That if in any area of their life is out of place, Lord, that you would bring them back, that you would restore, reconcile, and revive this morning. We pray, Lord, for every person who's lost spiritually, not sure about heaven, not sure about where they would go if this was to be their last day on earth. Would you bring them to you this morning? May people get saved this morning. Help me as I preach and teach your word, Lord. I'm not worthy to do so. I ask that you guide me. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak through me. Make your words in my mouth like fire and your people like wood. Fill us in this congregation with the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would have free liberty to do exactly what you want to do in our hearts. We love you, Lord. Thank you for first loving us. Bless now the preaching of your word. For us in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Do you ever find yourself looking for something that you have misplaced? How many of you guys are in a constant habit of losing something important like your wallet, your keys to the car, uh, maybe your cell phone? How many of you guys would attest honestly that you are in a habit of doing that? Can I see your hand? Surely there would be more than this. Guys, we are in church this morning. Don't lie. God is watching you. How many of you guys would say, I know somebody who is like that? Can I see your hand? How many of you guys are sitting with that person right now? Could you raise your hand? All right. Some of you guys are looking at each other. I'm sure we've all misplaced something before, and surely from time to time it will happen again. I've done it. Not as much as my wife, but I've done it, you know. <laughs> now, if I asked how many of you have ever lost not an item, but a person. Somebody that you were out with and maybe you were going about your business, you had a schedule plan, but all throughout your time together, just it so happened that you lost one another. You lost a person that you were with. Anybody like that? Okay, good. It happened to me when I was in, uh, in the Philippines. Uh, my uh, babysitter would pick me up from school and she would take us home. We would have to ride two jeepneys. I remember so vaguely about going out from the school and going to the marketplace, getting a jeepney to one location and taking another jeepney to get to where we lived. And I remember one afternoon, we got out, I got out of school and my babysitter picked me up and she stopped by at the grocery open market there in the Philippines, and it's, not, it's nothing like Safeway or Costco in the Philippines, okay? It's an open market, vendors everywhere. People are buying their meats and their vegetables or your seafood and all of that. People are trying to sell you knockoff items, and if you're dumb enough to buy that thing, you're going to get exactly what you paid for, right? And you think about that open market, a lot of people there. I remember my babysitter took us to a place where she was going to buy some vegetables, and when she brought us up to the place, I turned to the side and I saw a different place that caught my interest, maybe some toys or things of that nature. I left where she was at and I went to that place. And when I got to that place, I was looking at what caught my eyes and what got, what got my attention and then I turned around. She was gone. I was lost. I was probably second or third grade when this had happened. I mean, hundreds of people passing across right before my very eyes and all of a sudden my heart is racing. I'm thinking of every possible thing that could go wrong. Eventually I made my way. Some stranger helped me out and it's really by the grace of God that I found my way but that was a horrible, terrible experience for me. To ask somebody where they were not knowing where they were at positionally. I remember we, my wife and I and uh, my family and the, uh, my sister 
to be specific, uh, and her family in, in Canada uh, met us up in, uh, in Anaheim, and we went to Disneyland, and Disneyland is known to be the happiest place on earth. It's not, though. <laughs> Lines everywhere. It's always almost too hot to be there. Prices are always jacked up, and if you want to ride one ride, you are probably going to get to ride only one ride, <laughs> you know? It is not the happiest place on earth. Not only are children crying, but I see parents crying, you know? They're like, why am I here? They're doubting why they had kids, right? It's not the happiest place on earth. I remember when uh, we were there probably two years ago. It was me, my wife, my brother-in-law, my sister, and their two daughters, two beautiful nieces, and we sat at a show. I think it was Beauty and the Beast. The parents were sitting at a bench closer to the back, and on front of the stage was this uh, uh, floor that they had some blankets on, and then they had the kids sit there in front, and Next thing you know, uh, the show went on, and it was about a 15 uh, to about 16-minute show, and I remember the kids were laughing, even the parents were getting into it. Uh, they were singing along. It was a lot of fun, and then everything stopped and ended, and everybody was asked to dismiss to prepare for the next group of people that will watch the show. And I remember within a minute, maybe even less, we got out of the theater-looking place, and all of a sudden, we hear somebody yell, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? It was a mom looking for her six-year-old son. Crying. As she yelled, where are you? Where are you? You know, when God asked this question in Genesis chapter 3, you could almost hear God's voice with a, Slight cry and a broken heart. He asked Adam, Adam, where are you? And it's not because God didn't know where Adam was. Adam was known of his location. God knew exactly where Adam was at. God knew where Adam was at locationally and positionally. But the reason why God asked that is so that Adam would know. You see, God wasn't as interested in Adam's physical location as he was with his spiritual position. And Adam was asked a question by God. God himself called Adam by name. And by the way, God knows your name this morning. And God is calling for your name and he's asking you, just like he asked Adam, where are you? Where are you this morning? Where are you? You say, I'm here at 2960 uh, Merced Street here in San Leandro, California. I know you're here physically, but where are you spiritually? God is asking you today, where are you at? You see, God is concerned when you have been misplaced. God is concerned when you have moved from where he wants you to be. God is looking to bring you back. God is looking to restore you in the rightful position that you should be spiritually. And I want to talk to every person today, whether you're newly saved or have been saved for a long time, whether you're a first-time visitor or not, whether you're married, single, young or old, I want to ask you that same question. Where are you? Do you even know where you are? Do you even know where you stand before God spiritually? You say, I come to church every Sunday, so what? There are more faithful Catholics that go to church before you and I do. You say, I pray every day, so what? Muslims pray more than Christians? Where are you? Have you ever asked 
and considered if God is looking for you? Some people don't even realize it. God's been looking for you for a long time. Some of you, you know God's looking for you. But you've been running from God for so long. You've been trying to hide yourself from God. Trying to fill your schedules with so many things so that the thought of God and his call for your life would be absent and neglected. Where are you this morning? As we study this passage in Genesis chapter 3, I want us to remember that if God is looking for you, he has your best interest in mind. God wasn't looking for Adam to make his situation worse. God was trying to help Adam. And if God is looking for you, I want to reassure you this morning that God loves you. God is for you. God desires the best for you more than even what you think is best for yourself. God wants it for you. God wants you to be in your position. And today I want to reassure you that if you are out of place spiritually, God wants to find and restore you. So this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 3, let's look at three spiritual areas where we could be out of place. First and foremost, I want to ask this question. Where are you with your family? The book of Genesis is, the called, of the, uh, is called the book of the beginnings. From this book, we are given the presidented doctrines that we hold true in the Christian faith. For example, because we read it in Genesis, we believe that God created the world. Amen. Amen. We believe that God is the author of the world that we exist in. That God created the universe as we know today in six 24-hour days. And in God's creation, we believe that God placed great values and sacredness upon two important entities. First, I want to talk about how we believe in the sacredness of life. Going back to chapter number two, we find and read how God is the author of life. God is the giver of life. God created man after his own image, and God breathed unto them the breath of life. And the Bible says that man became a living soul. Life is valuable to God, whether it's out of the womb or in the womb. Life is valuable to God. Whether it is convenient for somebody to care for them or it's inconvenient, life is valuable to God. By the way, if you're here this morning and you don't think your life is valuable, let me correct your thinking with the word of God. That is very untrue. God says you are valuable to him. You are wonderfully made in his image. You have a purpose that God has given you and your life values to God. No, don't, don't listen to what other people tell you. Don't listen to what other lies are being placed in social media or on the television. You matter to God this morning. You have value before God's eyes and God says you are important. We believe that life is sacred. And we believe, secondly, that the family is sacred. In Genesis chapter 2, we not only see the creation of life, but God also consummates the holy institution of marriage and the family. The family is important. You can't read Genesis all through Revelation without finding that the family matters to God. Psalm 127 verse 1, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that built it. 
When you think about the family, the Bible mentions three important types of families for the Christian. We find that there's the family of God. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are not a member of God's family, but God invites you. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received unto them, gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And the Bible says, Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you are not saved, you are not a part of God's family, but you can be. God says that he invites you to be a part of his loving family. You can become a child of God this morning if you place simple trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior. God invites you to be in his family. We find the family of God, but number two, we find the family of the church. The New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's not yours. It's no one else's except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you come to church, you should come with respect. With a soberness in our heart and mind before God and understanding that this is his body and not ours. And when you think about the Christian church, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2 that it is important for our spiritual life. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God or the family of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the, build, uh, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, God wants every born again saved individual to be baptized and to join a New Testament church to have a church where they can get preaching a church where they can find accountability a church that prays for them and cares for them you see being a part of the church is God's will for your life the church is God's established institution used for the development of your spiritual growth and life without the church you cannot live for God properly Without the church, you will not grow spiritually. Without the church in your life, you will not be a happy Christian. By the way, we're talking about the right church, amen? Just because a place calls themselves a church does not mean that it allows them to identify with the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So we see the church or the family of the church, the family of God. But today I want to talk about the family that you call home. What's the last time you spiritually assessed your home? Spring cleaning's coming up. My wife was really recently watching this uh, Netflix show about this lady who will come to your house and help you tidy things up. Pay somebody else how to teach you how to clean your house. Genius, right? She's like a self-made millionaire. I don't even know what her name is, but my wife said, hey, let's do that. Because you're looking at your house and you're looking, man, we need to fix this. We need to fix that. This is a mess. That is a mess. Rearrange this. And you're giving a physical assessment of where you live, your house. But have you assessed your home recently? Have you looked with the eyes of God and through the filter of the scriptures and asked yourself, how is my home doing? How's my family How's my wife? How's my husband? How's my children? How are my parents? How is my family doing? For every husband in the room, you are commanded to love your wife. 
You are to love her like God loves the church. You are to give, sacrifice, and serve for her betterment, not yours. You are to be her spiritual leader, her daily provider, and her, her emotional protector. How's your love for your wife, husbands? Can you really tell your wife you love her if you don't pray for her? Sneaking around in the internet on your phone and computer is not love. Fantasizing about another woman is not love. Being rude and impatient towards her inadequacies or failures, neglecting her needs and refusing to protect her is not love. And the most spiritual thing that some of the husbands in this room could do is to apologize to their wife for not loving her with a Christ-like love. How's your family? Wives are commanded to love and submit to their husbands. Criticizing him in person or behind his back is not love. Wishing your husband was somebody else is not love. Being grateful and unsatisfied with his labor of love towards you is not love. Being critical and always complaining about him is not love. Refusing to follow his leadership is not love. And what's the last time, ladies and wives in this room, have you thanked your husband for working hard? When's the last time you prayed for your husband to have the wisdom that he needs in order to lead you and your family? When's the last time you praised and complimented him for doing something right? Maybe, wife, you in this room need to apologize to your husband for not loving him like God loves him. This, uh, Recent transition, almost 11 months of being a parent is one of the best things I've ever experienced in my life. I'm glad it didn't happen earlier than this, but I'm glad it happened, right? I love being a dad. Sometimes my son and I, I place him in his bed and I'll say, where are you, Kai? And he'll just plop over the bed. He'll close his eyes. I'm like standing right over him. Where are you, Kai? And he'll like grin and smile. It's the best feeling in the world. Sometimes I hold my son and I say, man, I'm responsible for him. Yeah, I got to feed him. I got to change the diaper. But I got to make sure that my son grows up to love God. I'm not supposed to try to impose my desires on his life. I'm supposed to knit my heart, knit my desires with God's desires and help guide my son closer to Jesus. And to try, even subtly or ignorantly, to try and do anything that takes him away from God and farther from God is not love. And I wonder, parents, are you loving your children like God wants you to love them? If you as a parent act one way at home and act another way at church, then you're not loving them. If you constantly lose your temper or talk down to your children, if you're spending more time focusing on earthly things than you do spiritual things, if you're neglecting the importance of God in their life, prayer in their life, the Bible in their life, then you are not loving them like you should. Mom and dad, when's the last time you prayed for your kids? 
children, you are supposed to love your parents. You are supposed to honor, respect, and submit to their authority. You see, no matter where you are in life this morning, you have a family. And you are responsible not for the actions of others, you're responsible for your actions. You can't say to God, God, my my wife didn't submit to me enough, therefore I didn't love her. My parents weren't caring for me enough. My children weren't good kids, therefore I couldn't do what you wanted me to do. You are responsible for your actions towards others. You are not going to give an account for what somebody else did to you. You are not going to give an account for somebody else's decision. But you will give an account for how you were responsible for the keeping of the spiritual health of your family. You ever wonder why Adam... And Eve's eyes were opened after Adam ate and not after Eve who ate first. A lot of speculations, a lot of people say the timing of between both bites were too short and so it really had no relevance to the timing of their eyes were open. But there's a position that which I like to lead towards is that Adam was the one responsible for God's command. God gave the command to Adam first. God created Adam first. God gave the responsibility to Adam first. Adam was to be responsible not only for the keeping and the dressing of the garden and for the naming of the animals, but Adam was given the responsibility to care for the spiritual life of his wife. And so when he disobeyed God, the fullness of their consequences took place. Because Adam, when he took the bite, caused him and his wife to be out of place. You know, one small decision, one wrong decision can bring you and your family out of place. One thought entertained, you know, maybe we should just miss church today. Sunday night is really not that important. We can miss out on that you know if your kids hear you talking like that what are they going to think about church you go home and the first thing that you do is turn on the TV or maybe check something online and you don't make time for the Bible if the kids see that what are you telling them One decision, no matter how small or big it is, has a long-term effect and consequence to our entire family in this morning. Why don't you take a spiritual assessment of where you are at as a family member? Are you doing all that you can to lead by example? Are you doing all that you can to exalt Jesus Christ in your home? Are you doing all that you can to live by faith and not by sight? Are you following God sincerely? You say, my mom is not saved, my dad is not saved, my spouse is not saved, my children are saved. That's okay, but let's start with you. Let's start with where you are at. Where are you? With your family. Where are you? With your fellowship. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Notice this, and Adam and his wife hid. 
Adam and his wife hid before they were walking with God in fellowship. Now they're hiding and running away from God. Here we learn that Adam took for granted something valuable, fellowship with God. We find here the satisfying provision. God had placed Adam in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden, Adam would be cared for. In the garden, Adam would have food. Adam would have shelter. He even has pets in his home. And he had his wife. In the garden, Adam had everything he needed. God gave him satisfying provision. See, the garden represents the will of God. The will of God is always good. God's will is perfect. God's will is securing. God's will is sufficient. God's will satisfies. But Adam became dissatisfied. Adam forgot the most valuable thing in the garden. His fellowship with God. See, in the garden, Adam could walk to God and say, God, how are you? Adam had closeness with God. Adam had fellowship with God. It was a satisfying provision. This morning, are you satisfied with God? He said, I'll be happy if I just have more of um." what they have. Life would be more enjoyable if I just had, you name it. The Bible says in Psalm 16, 11, thou will show me the path of life and in thy presence is fullness of joy. John in his epistle and his first letter says, that which we have seen and have heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You see, joy will be full when Jesus becomes first in our life. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In good times or in bad times, Jesus satisfies. In the mountaintops or in the valleys, God satisfies. God is our God when he brings us into brightness or when we are found in darkness. God is still satisfying. God is good. He's sufficient and he satisfies at all times. Adam had enough of anything that he wanted and needed in the garden. But he said, I want more. We find the substitution pursuit. Adam pursued the one thing that they could not have. Why is it that we become so covetous and lustful after things we don't have when we already have so much? We focus on what we don't have and we forget to enjoy the blessings that are placed right before our eyes. God says, 
that covetousness and lust is a sin. Lust has been the demise of many. Lust is the pursuit of a forbidden desire. Lust is seeking and going after something that God had forbidden. The Bible says in James chapter 1, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away out of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. First John chapter 2 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will hold on to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God in wealth. You can't serve God in riches. You cannot have two masters. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Adam substituted his fellowship with God for fruit. Esau substituted his birthright for a bull. Rehoboam substituted his shields of gold for brass. The Jews substituted Jesus for Barabbas. What are you substituting God for? What are you looking to to find yourself satisfied? What are you looking for for pleasure? What are you looking for to fulfill the lusts and desires of your heart? Where is your substitute? In the 1996 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets traded their 13th pick, Kobe Bryant to the Los Angeles Lakers for seven foot one center Vlade Divac. To this day, the Charlotte Hornets have never won the NBA championship in their franchise. But the Lakers with Kobe Bryant has won five. This looks like a good trade. Thinking through it, feels like it's gonna work out. If I just substitute more work hours for church hours, then I'll be better. If I substitute secular college for Bible college, when God has called me to be in ministry, then I'll be better. If I just substitute more entertainment time on TV, more entertainment time with my friends, more entertainment time with other people, rather than, or rather than fellowship with God in the Bible, then I'll be better. If I work more but not pray more, then I'll be better. If I just date this person, I know they're lost, I know they don't have the same biblical convictions that I have, but they satisfy me, then I'll be better. Substitute. How foolish of Adam to think that this trade for fruit, but losing the fellowship of God would be better for his life. And I tell you, how many times have we gone in our Christian life thinking that if I just substitute my fellowship with God for something else, then I'll be satisfied. No, you'll be like the woman in John chapter 4, drinking from one well after another, drinking from one man after another man, and you'll find yourself unsatisfied, quenching for the thirst that can never be satisfied outside of what God can give you. I want to tell you today that if you're looking for satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ, you will not find it. You could have all the cars you want in your garage. You could have how many more houses that you want. You could have as many uh, stock markets uh, that you're involved in. Whatever it is, if you try to find satisfaction in this world, you're substituting for something far worse. 
than what God has already given you. How's your fellowship with God this morning? Which leads us to the sorrowful parting. Eventually, God drove Adam and Eve away from the garden. Spiritually, Adam and Eve died when they partook of the fruit. And sin had entered into the world, but their fellowship was also broken. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. How long have you been out of fellowship with God? How long has it been since when you felt so close to him? You know what I found in the Christian life? The, the closer that you find yourself to God, the harder the, the world pulls you back. You know, if you're at a distance from God, the world's not worried about you. But to be in constant closeness with God takes a lot of work. There's great spiritual disciplines that has to take place if you want to not just get close to God, but to stay close with God. The closer you pursue Jesus, the closer that you walk towards him, that you walk with him, the harder the world shouts its noises at you, the harder the, the temptations come at you, the more the darts of the fiery, uh, fiery darts of the devil come or are thrown at you, the harder it is to stay, uh, uh, it's harder for you to, to find yourself constantly in closeness with God than it is to get there. I want to ask you this morning, don't be satisfied with being far from God. God said, Adam, Adam, I missed you. We were supposed to walk in the garden today, but you're not there. Adam, where are you? We were supposed to fellowship. We were supposed to spend time together. We were supposed to enjoy each other's company and presence. Adam, where are you? In your fellowship. And then lastly, to this morning, we find the question about where we are with family, where we are with our fellowship with God. But let's close this sermon and this message with this question, where are you with your forgiveness? Let's go back to Genesis chapter three for a second. You guys still with me? Amen. Genesis chapter three, look at verse number seven if you could, and then we'll look at a verse that we didn't get to read yet. Oh, there's water in here. <laughs> Sorry. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. You there? Everybody there? And the eyes of them both were open, and they, saw, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves Apron. You know what? Let's read that verse together. All together. Verse number seven. Ready? And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. Verse number 21 says this. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, that's Eve, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them? 
We talked about how you spiritually can be out of place. And I want to end our thought and our message with this. That if you are spiritually lost, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then today God is looking for you. God is asking where are you because he wants to forgive you. Luke 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. God is looking to save you. God is looking for you to be saved and forgiven of your sins. You are not here by accident. The reason why Jesus Christ came is so that you, through his death and burial and resurrection, would understand that in forgiveness, God is able to save you and restore you back in fellowship with him. Today, God is extending his mercy and grace. God is calling you to receive this free gift of salvation. God loves you, and he wants you to have forgiveness. Some of you, you're here today, and you have not yet been forgiven. We see here an inadequate attempt. After their eyes were opened, they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed of that position. And the Bible teaches us that they sewed fig leaves together. I've never been much of, I don't even know the term, sewer, tailor, I don't know what you call it. Shows you how much I care about that stuff. But there was one time in high school where I had an elective to choose and I chose home economics. Don't laugh at me, Brother Rich. <laughs> Brother Rich, did you take home economics in high school? No. You're just a natural cook, huh? Well, our home economics class in high school was two-part. We had class for cooking, and then we had class for sewing. I hated the sewing part, man. We sewed like two things. I don't remember what they are. I like threw them the next day <laughs> in the garbage. I went really for the food, you know? Like, if, if I'm going to go to school, I might as well get something out of it, right? <laughs> get some food while you're at school, right? Like, come on now, it's not hard to do or choose. Man, it's a lot of work to sew. And I remember just not doing well in that class. The Bible says Adam and Eve sewed themselves fig leaves that they turn into apron. This is nothing more, listen to me, this is nothing more than a picture of self-righteousness. Because in their sin, in their nakedness, they knew that they have disobeyed God. They knew that in rebellion, they are out of fellowship with God. They may not have known it spiritually that they had died and that they were separated from God and that sin had entered into the world because of their sin. But the Bible teaches us this. They knew enough that wherever they are, however they look like, it was not appropriate to God. So in their understanding of their current sinfulness and in their current state, they said, hey, let's fix the problem. Let's sew fig leaves together and cover ourselves with aprons. Every religion that doesn't have Jesus at its center is a religion filled with self-righteousness. Religion tells you to do God says it's been done. Religion tells you to try. God says to trust. Religion tells you that you have to try to be a good person. God says you're not good enough to be a person. All, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Listen, sir. Listen, ma'am. If you're here in this room thinking that you're a good person, the Bible says that no matter how good you are, you will never be as good as God. And no matter how, how much you try to give money to the church, no matter how many churches you try to join, no matter how many times you get baptized and get yourself wet, you will still 
still be lost. And the Bible says your sins remain unforgiven. And anything that you try to do to cover that up is inadequate. It's not going to work. It's insufficient. It's useless. It's pointless. You cannot cover your sin with your own hands. You cannot cover and wash away your sins with what you can do. It is inadequate. And Adam and Eve stood before God with aprons made out of fig leaves. God said, that's not going to work. It's useless. We are all as unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Many will come to me, Jesus said. And said, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not preached the gospel in thy name? Jesus said, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew thee. You think coming to church is going to cover your sins? You think trying to appease your parents, children, teenagers, coming to church and just getting them off your back is going to be good enough for you to get to heaven? You think a baptismal certificate will suffice God to letting you into his perfect presence in heaven for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast we find here an inadequate attempt but thankfully God stepped in and we find an innocent atonement God didn't say it like this in the Bible but could almost imagine God said, Adam, Eve, what are you wearing? What are those, right? <laughs> what are you wearing? Why'd you put that on? I'll tell you what you need, God said to them. You need an innocent sacrifice to cover you. Well, I was able so confident that his offering to God, his first fruits of the flock, God would accept. Why would no one know that after exiting the ark and the flood had, had receded, why would no one know how to please God with a burnt offering? How would he know that? Why would... Moses, from God, required the Israelites to take the blood of goats and to paint it on their doorpost so when the death angel comes to Egypt that their firstborn would not die. Why would it be year after year, once a year, that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with a basin in his hand with blood inside that basin and he would cover or sprinkle the mercy seat and the blood would flow down that mercy seat covering the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses, why would he know that an innocent sacrifice would work? Because of Genesis chapter number three. God instituted that the covering of sin can only be achieved when there would be an innocent atonement. 
Now, why did Jesus come? If you're good enough to get to heaven, why did Jesus come? If you could go live life, be a good person, do enough religious work to merit favor before God for your eternal security, then why did God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ, perfect and sinless, die for you on the cross? Was God wasting his time? Was God making a mistake? No, the Bible says, behold the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. The Bible says that we are redeemed with the, uh, with, uh, uh, let me read it for you. In the Bible says in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. First John chapter 1 verse, or, or chapter 2 verse 2. And he, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. You see, Jesus Christ had to come. Jesus Christ had to come to die. He had to come and shed his blood for us because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible teaches us that in only way, the only way to find full forgiveness before God is to accept the blood of Jesus Christ as your atonement, as your substitute, as the satisfactory payment that God demands. You cannot be saved with your own good works, but if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. And how many times have you gone to church hoping that your attendance would gratify God? How many times have you tried to pray hoping that your sins would be forgiven? Listen, stop all of that nonsense. Come to Jesus. The Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day might bring forth. For what is your life? It is even but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. If you're sitting in this room, you need to stop playing games with your eternity. You are not here by accident. If you're in this room and you died right now at this moment, before I, before I even stop to preach, if you died right now and you are not 100% sure that you are going to heaven, listen, my friend, you can know it. You can have certainty. Not according to some good works that you can do. Not according to what man promises you. But according to the holy scriptures. God promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Stop playing with your forgiveness. Stop trying to cover yourself up with good works. Stop trying to cover yourself up with your own self-righteousness. God says you need Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to know that our sins are forgiven. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Where are you? Where are you with your family? Sir? Ma'am? Children and parents alike, where are you? With your home? Where are you with your fellowship? God promises to satisfy you, but have you pursued something to substitute his place? And where are you in your forgiveness? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior today? If not, why not? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. I urge you today, God's looking for you. Don't run away. God's calling for your name. Don't run away. He wants to bring you back. He's looking for you. And he wants to restore you 
to where you should be spiritually. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to study your word in Genesis chapter 3. And Lord, help us to take a spiritual evaluation of where we are at. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room will give sensitive ears to the Lord, will present tender hearts to the Lord, and stop running from you. I pray, Lord, that you'd work. Would your head bowed and eyes closed? This morning, if you're here in this room, and you say, Brother Irwin, I'm not where I should be. I'm not right with my family. I am out of place as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a child. I need to go back and be restored with my family. I need to make things right with my spouse, with my parents. Brother Erwin, would you pray for me? I want to make things right with my family. If that's you, can I pray for you this morning thank you I see that hand anybody else all right good 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 in your heart right now take a moment pray to the Lord about that matter if you're here and you say brother Irwin I am not right with my fellowship with God I've been hiding it I've been running from it but I know God is looking for me I I need to go back to God I've substituted something for him and it found itself to be unsatisfying But today I want to commit this morning to go back to God and find satisfaction in him and his fellowship with me. If that's you this morning, can I pray for you? Anybody like that? Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? All right. All right. Good. Here's my last question. I say, Brother Irwin, I'm not right with my forgiveness. I know I'm not saved. If I died right now, I am not 100% sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. I want to know how to have complete, secured certainty that I'm going to go to heaven after this life. I know life is not, is not long. Life is short. And I want to deal with this right now. I want to get saved. I want to know how to be saved and how to go to heaven. Could you pray for me? If that's you, with a raised hand, can I pray for you? Anybody like that at all? Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? You say, I want to know how to go to heaven. I want to know how to be saved. All right, let's do this. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I invite you to stand with me. Let's go ahead and stand right now. And if you rose your hand or if you didn't, would you take a moment to pray and do business with the Lord? Come to the altar tonight. Take a moment to kneel and pray to him. Turn around there in your seat if you're not able. And find yourself back to where you should be. Stop running away from God this morning and go back to where you are supposed to be spiritually. This morning, God's looking for you. This morning, God wants to bring you back. Sir, ma'am, maybe take a moment to pray with each other. Pray for your family, pray for your kids, pray for each other. Take a moment to pray for your own spiritual life this morning. If you're here tonight or this morning that you're not sure you're going to heaven, we want to make sure 
that you settle that today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for working the hearts of everyone here today. Thank you for your word, so quick and so powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, work in our hearts today. Help us to not soon forget the truths that we find in your word. Thank you for those who rose their hand. Would you help them to grow spiritually with their family and with their fellowship with you? And I pray for those who rose their hand saying that they need to get saved and want to know how to go to heaven. I pray that would be settled today. We love you, Lord. Thank you for first loving us. As we ask in your name.